I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Diversion Podcasts. This is Stephen Talty. I wanted to let you know about something we're trying. We've set up an email address for listeners to send us your questions about the show. Are you curious about something you've heard on Hunting the Butcher and want to know more? Is there something I haven't covered that you wish I would? I want to hear from you. Record yourself asking your question. The Voice Memos app on iPhone works well. Include your name and where you're from, and we'll try to answer your question on a future episode. The email address is huntingthebutcher at diversionpodcasts.com. Record yourself asking a question and email it to me. Again, the email address is huntingthebutcher at diversionpodcasts.com. That's podcasts, plural, with an S at the end. I'm looking forward to hearing your questions. Thanks. Now, on with the show. This episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and scenes of genocide. Listener's discretion is advised. By the winter of 1964, the mission was coming into focus. Yusuf Yariv had chosen his kill team. They were training under the Krav Maga master, Emi Lichtenfeld. For hours at a time, they grunted and kicked and practiced the blow that would bring the butcher to his knees. 
They were the same moves that Lichtenfeld had used on Nazi thugs in Hungary. The team was confident they would work on Herbert Zuckers. In Brazil, Mio continued to meet with Zuckers, trying to stoke Zuckers' excitement for his coming wealth and make sure he'd be willing to travel somewhere outside of Brazil with Kunzla. They would go to a restaurant and Kunzla would paint a picture. Deals, money, success. It was all on the horizon. He told Zuckers he was getting excited about the prospects for tourism in Brazil. So were his partners back in Austria. In fact, they were so excited that they'd encouraged him to look at other countries too. What about Chile or Uruguay? Both were up and coming in the tourist trade. There were millions to be made. Why restrict themselves to Brazil? Zuckers was getting excited. He needed the money, but more importantly, after being a pariah for years, he needed the encouragement that this high roller gave him. Mio had sensed almost from the minute he met Zuckers that the guy was a narcissist, but not an ordinary one. Yes, Zuckers had been a solo act back in the 1930s when he made headlines as an aviator. But as he got older, it turned out he didn't have to be in the lead role all the time. In fact, there's evidence that Zuckers sought out strong men that he could follow. And it happened in Latvia, where he joined a commando unit run by a handsome, hard-driving killer named Victor Araj. Araj was the leader, Zuckers the second in command. And now it was happening with Kunzla. The truth was that Mia wasn't a leader either, not in real life. As I've talked about, he was a bit of a loner. He lacked confidence. He didn't command a room. The leaders of Mossad were pretty sharp judges of character. When they promoted one of their agents and gave them their own unit, it showed they'd seen something in that man. He could be a boss. He could motivate men. So far, no one had seen that in Mio. Mossad knew he was a kind of genius at going undercover but they never offered him his own unit. Mio understood why, and it stung. So maybe that's why he understood Zuckers so well. In a way, they were alike. They shared that same frustration. They'd never gotten their due in life. I want to be clear, I'm speculating here. Mio never talked about this. He never said, I felt the butcher's pain. He didn't feel his pain. But he recognized it, and he played on it. I'm Stephen Talty, and this is Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher. We must thwart this shameful process. The end of a trail of blood and horror. The end of a man whose name will be written in infamy. Episode 7. The Method of Death. So Mio is taking Zuckers around, whining and dining him, and talking about trips to other countries. He told Zuckers it was about making money. 
But the real reason was the job couldn't be done in Brazil. Troops are called out in the suburbs of Rio de Janeiro to quell rioting over President Joao Goulart's attempts to form a new Brazilian government. If the mission went badly, too many Jews would face blowback. According to Dr. Sarah Valente, who studies the legacy of the Holocaust in Brazil, and who you heard from in episode three, Jews in Brazil were now being regularly targeted, not just along ethnic lines, but along political and religious lines as well. The Brazilian dictatorship of 64 disproportionately targeted those who were so-called subversives, those who did not fit into the you know, nationalistic idea of, of a Brazil that was dictated and ruled by a military government. If you were seen as a possible subversive, you were already a threat. And we see the cases of many Jews who fell into that category. I think it's important for us to mention the the role of Catholicism. In many ways, that religiosity still, in in certain ways, allows the Jew to be seen as uh, as a denier of Christ. So, for example, when we think about anti-Semitism in the United States today, people are not going around in the United States saying the Jews have killed Jesus. Therefore. Right? But in the case of Latin America, that idea, the DSI charge, is still something that we see in making itself appear in media, in, in all kinds of, um, of communications. And so during the dictatorship, again, the Jew is seen as this kind of other. They're not able to convert. They're not able to become one of us. And Zuckers seemed to like the idea of the trips. But there was a catch. When Zuckers was discovered living in Brazil in 1950, protesters had tried to get him deported, but it hadn't worked. Here's Dr. Valente explaining the fallout. The Ministry of Justice and Interior Affairs replies to the Jewish community to the it's called the Federação de Sociedades Israelitas, the 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 Jewish Federation, that there is no issue with of legality with Kuker's entrance in Brazil. That's basically their response. No, there's no issue of legality uh, that we have to look into. And so that, we could say, is kind of the official response. The Brazilian government knew these allegations. Nothing was ever done to you know, bring him to judgment or anything along these lines. The only thing that did happen is that he was not able to become a Brazilian citizen. That was the only thing that the Jewish Federation was able to stop was that he was not granted citizenship. Essentially, Zuckers was largely unscathed, except for the fact that he couldn't get a passport. So now, how was Mio supposed to get him out of the country if he didn't have the right documents? Soon after the trip to Santos with Kunzla, Zuckers had been to see his contact in DOPS, the Brazilian Internal Security Service. And it's worth remembering, Zuckers always had powerful people looking out for him in the Brazilian government. Dr. Valente studied the documents Zuckers used to apply for permanent residency, and it's obvious to her that Brazilian officials would have been sympathetic. That's as far as we could say, you know, of some kind of tangible action by the Ministry of Justice in Brazil is that they did decide to halt the process for his petition of naturalization in virtue of this kind of uncertainty of information available regarding to his life prior to that moment. 
And throughout the process, I mean, I have the images of the different documents that he used, the documents that he, he provided to the Brazilian consulate. He never once hid his real identity, his uh, biographical information. Everything is, you know, the correct information. There's, you, you don't get a sense that he's trying to hide who he was or his activities. And after the Eichmann kidnapping, Zucris was worried about the Jews and the Israelis. But he was confident that the Brazilian government would still have his back. And he was right. Again, here's Dr. Valente. So I've actually looked in more in detail into about four of these Nazis, uh, Gustav Wagner being one of them. And um, there are quite a few others. But this is always the same. You know, they were able to attain what was called a salvo conduto, which is like a it's basically a permission that says you are a good person. Um, it's almost like an affidavit that you're able to give from a the local authorities that says, okay, this person is clean. And I should also mention, you know, when Eichmann was discovered and captured in Argentina in 1960, Kukers became very fearful of what might happen to him and his family. And at this time, he did not hesitate to actually file paperwork with the local authorities to ask for uh, protection for him and his family. And he was granted a permission to carry firearm because in Brazil, at the time, you couldn't carry firearms. And there was Brazilian Secret Service that was readily available to protect him and his family. So Zuckers knew he could rely on his government contacts. It was natural that he'd reach out about the trip he was planning with this Austrian businessman. Should he go? Again, this made me think of Marathon Man, the question that every fugitive wants answered. Is it safe? Zuckers is telling this Brazilian agent about Kunzla, and the guy was immediately suspicious. It's safe to assume that your enemies have not forgotten you. He told Zuckers, I can protect you here in Sao Paulo, but my jurisdiction stops at the border. Once Zuckers crossed into another country, he was on his own. Chile and Uruguay had much smaller Jewish populations. If there was blowback from the operation, fewer people would suffer. But there was a catch. When Zuckers was discovered living in Brazil in 1950, protesters had tried to get him deported. It hadn't worked but it meant that Zuckers never became a Brazilian citizen. So he didn't have a passport. Kunzlet talked it over with Zuckers. The butcher told him there was something called an alien's passport, a temporary travel document the government could issue that would allow Zuckers to travel. It cost about $30. Kunzlet paid, and the problem was solved. They were getting along. Mio even joked about the incident with a pistol at the hotel. As for the gun, I told Zuckers, you have nothing to worry about. I'll get it through the border controls for you. Zuckers grinned back. Most of the time, he kept a poker face, not uh, disclosing his emotions. But this time, there was uh, laughter lines around his eyes, which sparkled with genuine joy. The plan seemed to be going smoothly. Zuckers was starting to trust Mio. He'd bought in. Or at least, that's what Mio thought. What the spy didn't know was that Zuckers, too, was playing a part. He pretended he was gung-ho, but the truth is, he was deeply worried by the idea of leaving the country. 
even mentioned it to his wife. What if this was a trick? Decades on the run had made him a worrier. He couldn't help it. He knew the Jews wanted him. He knew he was on various lists. Who's to say this wasn't the nightmare he'd been running away from ever since he left Latvia? Zuckers thought about it. What Kunzla offered was so tempting. It was maybe his last chance at getting rich and getting his reputation back. It was too good to pass up. He was leaning towards going, but he wasn't sure. He told the Brazilian agent, I've never been a coward. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. 
to save. Visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. This is Episode 7. So if you're this far into the story, we're assuming you're enjoying Hunting the Butcher. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, can I ask you for a quick favor? It only takes a minute. Find the show on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the section called Ratings and Reviews, and tap one of those purple stars. Hopefully, it's the fifth star on the right. Then tap that little purple link that says, write a review, and leave a few words about what you think of Hunting the Butcher. It really helps get the word out and let other listeners know about the podcast. Much appreciated. Now on with the show. Neil and Zuckers hashed out the details of the trip, when they would leave, how long they would stay. Then they went to a Japanese restaurant to celebrate. When they walked in, the maitre d' rushed over. He showed the two men to a good table, gave them VIP treatment. Zuckers was impressed. He didn't know that Mio had been there a few days earlier, making a big splash, tipping the waiters and the maitre d' heavily to make sure they'd remember him. He didn't want to take any chances. Mio ordered rum and cokes. When the drinks arrived, he glanced at Zuckers. I noticed he drank very slowly. He would start with a small sip, as if examining the contents of the glass, then wait a few minutes, and only then start drinking. He behaved like someone afraid of being poisoned. Slipping a dose of poison into the butcher's cocktail had been one method that Mio had been considering. But now, it wasn't going to work. Zuckers was just too suspicious. What if he tasted the champagne or the piece of steak that had the poison in it and spit it out, and then pulled out the gun he always seemed to carry? That would be bad. Mio crossed poison off the list. He'd have to find another way. So they had a tentative agreement. They would start with Uruguay. Zuckers invited Kunzla to his house for strudel and coffee and to tell the family about the plan. It was as if he wanted his children to see that the bad years were almost over, that the accusations of being a Nazi and a war criminal were beginning to fade. They weighed every sentence I said and closely examined every move I made. Afterward, Mio flew to Uruguay and its capital, Montevideo. He wanted to see if it could work for the final act of the mission. In 1519, a Spanish sailor saw this mountain from afar. Montevideo, he cried, meaning, I see a mountain. And to this day, we know the capital of Uruguay as Montevideo. Uruguay, between Brazil and Argentina, is one of the world's purest democracies. The traveler making the grand tour of South America is well advised to pause, to take in the easy, congenial mood of Uruguay's metropolis. I spoke to the noted Uruguayan writer Fernando Budazoni. Budazoni studied the Zucker's case closely and recently published a carefully researched book about it in Spanish entitled Los que nunca olvidarán, or Those Who Will Never Forget. He described to me what Montevideo was like in those days. Montevideo was a quiet city, somewhat gray, 
a few cars on the streets, important building, well-dressed people. It was not a dangerous city, like a European city, a small European city. And our architecture is very similar to the Barcelona and Madrid architecture. Emil rented a car, studied the map, and started searching for a house. He needed something that looked like it could serve as the home base for a respectable company. It had to look good. It had to fool the butcher. Zuckers arrived in Montevideo a few days later. He was super excited. He probably hadn't left Brazil in 20 years, and now he was on a vacation with all expenses paid. Budizoni thinks Montevideo might have even felt like a kind of homecoming for Zuckers. And for Kukurs, it was, I think, it was like going back to Europe after 20 years. He had never returned to Europe from, from the end of the war. Mio and Zuckers checked into the hotel, then went driving around. They spoke to real estate agents, they studied listings, and they checked out houses. This was the important thing. Mio was starting to condition Zuckers, getting him to go in and out of strange houses. There weren't a lot of places on the market, so Mio said they would come back early in the spring and look again. He'd seen enough. Uruguay was the place, and Budizoni understands why. At that time, Uruguay was a peaceful place. Really peaceful. A small and democratic country. We were surrounded by dictatorship in Argentina, in Brazil, in Paraguay. And so in my country, the life was peaceful. In Uruguay, unlike Brazil, there was not death penalty. There were political freedom and we have good relation with Israel. There was not explicit anti-Semitism in our society. And I think that explains why Mossad chose Uruguay to carry out the ambush against Kukur. Because in, in Brazil, he was very, very protected by the political police. And in, in Argentina, still remembered the Adolf Eichmann case. You know, and Paraguay was refuge for many Nazis. That is why, in my opinion, Uruguay was the best alternative, or maybe the, the only alternative for the Mossad. Everything was finalized. They'd hit the capital again in a few months and start buying buildings. Sukers would go on the payroll. He'd finally get those taped-up glasses fixed. Maybe sell off his boat rental business. It was time to celebrate. The two men went to a local casino in Montevideo. They played the tables, had a few drinks, ate good food. When Mio wanted roulette, he took the winnings and gave half to Zuckers. They were partners now. It was like a down payment on the dream. Through all of this, Zuckers looked relaxed but it wasn't true. Later, it would turn out that he'd seen something disturbing. While they were having lunch one day, he spotted a bunch of dark-haired men and women at a nearby table. Though he didn't tell Kunzla, he became convinced. These were Israeli spies. 
Zucker's wife later told police in an interview, they were sitting a few tables away from Herbert and Kunzla. They spoke in loud voices and made a lot of noise, as is typical of Jews. Mio had no idea this was going on. He hadn't noticed the table. It was probably just a bunch of locals having a good time. There was no backup team trailing him. It was all in Zucker's head. It was the latest in a series of things that worried Mio. Zucker's tasting his drink for poison, the guns, the mention of Joseph Kramer, the Nazi commander. Something else came up a few days later while they were still in Uruguay. They went out for dinner, and after they sat down, Zucker spoke to the waiter in Yiddish. He was checking to see if the guy knew the language, that is, if he was Jewish. The waiter had no idea what Zucker was saying, so the butcher switched to Spanish. But Mio could not believe it. Would the butcher ever calm down? He seemed even more paranoid now that he was out of Brazil. It bothered Mio. In fact, the mission was beginning to weigh on Mio. He not only had to deal with Zucker's mistrust, but the anxiety of always waiting to be discovered, of being arrested and put on trial. He really missed his family. Avner Abraham, the former Mossad agent, knows what that's like. And I can tell you frankly that uh, I lost most of my friends because I was... uh isolated. I used to fly here and even when you walk in Israel, you walk from, it's not 9 to 5, you can walk from 6 to midnight every day. You work very hard and uh, and you don't see your kids. Maybe you can see them only in the morning before you go again to your work. So in this kind of work and you have secrets all the time, usually you, you don't have friends. Yeah, maybe you have friends from Mossad, okay, but uh, yes, you pay. It was a lonely existence in which he never got to reveal his true self and was constantly afraid of slipping up and destroying not only the mission, but his own life. Every double agent faced the same thing, but now Mia was really starting to feel it. It was the price of being undercover. Just because he was good at it didn't mean it was easy. Here's Gad Shamran, the other ex-Mossad agent you've heard from, talking about this. This is quite unique. I, I can I can only you know give my personal account. Uh, I've had also uh, worked undercover, also in Arab countries. It's a huge mental burden, and 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 Mio has done it so naturally that I think the, the, the theater world missed him somehow. Maybe he could have done a very nice career at the Habima Israeli National Theater. For Mio, Act One was coming to an end. It was time for the Mossad agent to return to Paris. He'd gotten as close to the butcher as was possible. He had all the information on Uruguay and what it would take to carry out a mission there. And he was beginning to sketch out the details of the assassination. They parted like old friends. Mio told Zuckers they would see each other soon. And then he boarded a flight back to France. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Hey, this is Stephen Talty, the host of this podcast, Good Assassins Hunting the Butcher. As I've mentioned a couple of times on the show, this podcast project came out of my work on a related book called The Good Assassin. If you want to explore other parts of this story, check it out. It's not just a book version of the podcast. I spend time on different aspects of the mission. There are chapters diving into World War II history that we didn't cover in the podcast. And the book works as a kind of companion to the listening experience. The paperback edition just arrived. You can purchase a copy of The Good Assassin on Amazon, Apple Books, and on bookshop.org. Thanks.
While in Brazil, Mio had little idea what was going on in Germany and in the whole amnesty debate. There were articles about it, even in the Sao Paulo papers. It was turning into a global issue. Here's what some of the American radio coverage sounded like. The German constitution places a maximum 20-year limit on the prosecution of any crimes. Hitler rose to power by tampering with this self-same constitution, and the Bonn government wants no repetition of that. It believes that a democratic society rests on the inviolability of basic law. This is not to say that the West German government is not doing anything about these problems. Its legal experts are studying the statute of limitations, but the statute of limitations has an importance aside from the question of punishing criminals. The fact that 20 years have passed means that almost half of West Germany's 55 million people are too young to remember anything at all about the war or Hitler and his thousand-year Reich. A very high percentage reached the age of awareness only in the 10 years since the country was made independent. It is quite natural that these younger people are sick and tired of hearing about the sins of their elders. Not that they deny those sins, they are aware of them, but they leave the denials to those more guilty than they. But the radio reports and newspaper articles didn't tell what was happening behind the scenes. The two Nazi hunters, Tuvia Friedman and Simon Wiesenthal, were working on the issue nearly full-time. And they were starting to see results. A few American companies announced a boycott of German goods. This upset a lot of people in Berlin. The German ambassador said there was excessive agitation going on in the United States. People were writing letters, a lot of them, which is what you did in the mid-60s when you wanted to pressure a government. German embassies and consulates around the world had been bombarded with petitions and deputations, wrote the Los Angeles Times. Letters and telegrams in the thousands. Protesters showed up on the streets. In New York, dozens of men and women marched up and down Park Avenue with signs reading, no statute of limitations for mass murder, and Jewish survivors of Nazi persecution. Wiesenthal was spending money. He bought advertising space in newspapers all over the world and published the letter he'd written. Along with the signatures of the 200 famous scientists, politicians, writers, and others who signed it, it got a lot of attention. Someone even gave Wiesenthal the private number of former First Lady Jackie Kennedy, who made calls to help the movement. It was encouraging. Still, the only people that really mattered were the men and women in the German parliament. And what they were thinking, nobody really knew. The debate played out in German newspapers and on the radio and TV. Supporters of the amnesty argued that jailing more ex-Nazis, many of whom held high positions in companies in the government, would cripple Germany's economy. The Justice Ministry of Germany in 1964, for example, was almost identical to Hitler's Reich Ministry of Justice. The faces were mostly the same, only the nameplates on the doors had been changed. What were you going to do? Empty the place out? because of what those men had done during the war? Who would run the courts? Who would run the country? There were an estimated 200 blood judges, men who'd served under the Third Reich, still on the bench. If Freeman and the other activists truly wanted to jail every Nazi who participated in the murder of a Jew, Germany could come to a grinding halt. 
as counterintuitive as it sounded, if the world truly wanted the new Germany to flourish, it had to allow some Nazis to remain free. If you didn't, people would get angry. They'd resent Jews even more than they already did. It was a weird idea. If you prosecute Nazis for murder, you'll get more Nazis, not fewer. The parallel was World War I. The harsh terms of the Versailles Peace Treaty had triggered a conspiracy theory among Germans, the famous stabbed-in-the-back idea. Hitler had been obsessed by this theory. Now the pro-statute forces were saying that more Nazi trials would start a backlash. Some sensed a warning. If you don't back off, we'll stop feeling remorseful and start feeling angry. Behind such arguments lay an unpleasant truth, one that Tuvia Friedman had known for years. Hitler had enjoyed far wider and deeper support than anyone in Germany wanted to admit. The former Auschwitz judge, Heinz Dukes, would later say, Approximately 90% of the Germans, as activists and fellow travelers, translated the murderous ideology of the National Socialist regime into action. Germans preferred the guilty few theory of the Holocaust, the idea that Hitler and a handful of other men had forced Germans to become accomplices in the genocide of Jews. This absolved most citizens of their own guilt. Individual Germans almost never admitted playing a part in the Holocaust. If trials were allowed to go on indefinitely and prosecutors were free to track down every officer and soldier who'd murdered somebody during the war, a deeper and more disturbing portrait of the Holocaust would emerge. This is what people were saying, as if that was a bad thing. But that's exactly what Friedman and the others wanted. They believed the full truth of what happened during the war had never been acknowledged. Here's Friedman from a memoir he wrote in the early 60s. Millions of Germans today were a decade and a half ago Nazis. Thoughtful people are troubled by the fact that the new generation rising in Germany today does not fully know the enormity of the crimes that were committed. The textbooks in Germany do not spell out the hideous, unspeakable crimes that were committed by men and women who are themselves parents, grandparents, relatives of young Germans. How can we be sure that the leader-loving German people will not again follow in the footsteps of a power-mad dictator if today's generation of Germans does not know and fully understand the history of the Nazi period. Friedman didn't know about Mossad's mission to assassinate Herbert Zuckers, but there's little doubt he would have approved. He was working the corridors of power, but his campaign lacked something. It needed a face, a real-life monster, to show what kind of Nazis were still walking free in the world. Hitler was gone. Dr. Mengele was in hiding. They needed someone who'd done terrible things and was still free. That role would be filled by Herbert Zuckers. It was late October 1964. Mio's plane touched down in Paris. He went to his apartment, kissed his wife, played with his kids. He slept in his own bed for the first time in six weeks. He was himself again. He didn't have to pretend. After a few days, Yariv summoned Mio. 
He went back to the Mossad apartment to meet the three other men Yarif had selected for the kill team. Lazar Sudit, Zev Amit, and Moti Kafir. Mio had brought a suitcase back with him from Brazil. It was filled with stuff. Notes, maps, flight schedules. Mio had saved everything that had the smallest part to play in the operation. He'd written out a description of Zucker's home. The layout, the drawer with the guns, everything. There was a section on how scarce rental cars were in Uruguay. The team would need multiple cars, so that was something they'd have to take care of as soon as they landed. Mio listed what documents you needed to check into a hotel as a foreigner, and a master list of hotels they could use. The men began sorting the documents and putting them into separate files. Now the team had to sort through it all and begin checking and double-checking every detail. They had to decide on how to eliminate the butcher, and they had to get their own cover identities. The team now had five months until March. Five months until the vote in the German parliament that would spell victory or defeat. They felt the weight of history on them. They were thinking of future generations. So much rested on this mission, and if they could actually pull it off. It wouldn't be until much later, in fact, until it was too late, that they realized the mistakes they were making. Good Assassins, Hunting the Butcher is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by Stephen Tolte. Produced and directed by Scott Waxman and Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman and Mangesh Hatikadur. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. With the voices of Nick Afka Thomas, Omri Angle, Andrew Polk, Mindy Escobar Leantz, Steve Routman, and Stefan Rudnitsky. Theme music by Tyler Cash. Archival research by Adam Shapiro. Thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. 
For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.